Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode. I'll tell you about this week's truly incredible guest very soon. First, I want to let you know that we are at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. Something really cool launching this week. You'll be able to watch clips of the interviews on IGTV. You'll also get daily self-care, self-love notes. You get inside info, clips of interviews, and love being able to connect with you, seeing where you're listening, tag us in your stories, share with your pals. I'm also at Belle Crawford on Instagram. Right, this week's guest is Amy Fraser. She's an entrepreneur and founder of OK Real, which is a mentorship event and online platform all about helping women to live their best life. Growing up in New Zealand, Amy moved to New York where she spent a good part of a decade hustling and building her business. A betrayal and a marriage ending while Amy was pregnant saw her move back to New Zealand, and the way she got through this traumatic experience is truly inspiring. In this episode, we get real. We talk about living and getting through pain, growth, and the power of self-worth. So many helpful tips and even an exercise for us to all do at the end. We're so lucky to have Amy on the Self Love Club podcast. Amy, welcome to the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for your time today. So good to have you on. Hi, Val. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I run a business. Uh, it's called OK Real. And I started it in New York about maybe six years ago now. I used to live there. I was there for about a decade. I came back about two years ago to have my little boy. And I currently operate the business from New Zealand, which has been interesting. Uh, We do primarily events with women entrepreneurs. We speak about what fulfillment means to different women and how they go about creating that for themselves. So we do events, we do interviews, we have a website and we do mentorship. And we're just starting to kind of get into the online learning space with launching online courses. So kind of a motivational uh, resource of wisdom that connects people with other good people. Super cool. We'll go through all of that soon. But first, I just want to go back. So where did you grow up? And did you know what you wanted to do growing up? I grew up in New Zealand. I was raised in Oakuni and then Auckland. And no, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I um, I knew what I enjoyed, which was talking a lot and connecting with people. And I've always been a real people person. And when I went to school for communications or when I went to uni, I kind of had two options, which were go into advertising or go into PR. And so I went into advertising and and I worked at Ogilvy for a year. It wasn't really my jam. And so I left the country and I lived in Canada for about six months and uh, ended up in New York. And that was in 2008. I kind of mucked around in the creative industries on the business side and kind of the artistic side. Did a lot of work in branding and project management. That all led me to what I do now in a funny kind of way. Now, I, I think when I grew up, yeah, I knew what I enjoyed, but I didn't know where I fit in. Yeah. The world. And so did you work that out by, 
I guess we all work it out as we get older, but did you work it out by going overseas and working in those industries, which, you, like you say, have given you so many skills, which is so handy for what you're doing now? I worked it out by being really curious and trying things. I think when I was younger, I had this impression that I was very caught up in the future. I was very caught up in, you know, needing to know what I was going to do with my life. And I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. And in some ways that served me because it mitigated any chance of me being complacent. But I think it's important to recognize if there's somebody in their early 20s who's listening to this is that all of those jobs that are seemingly menial and all of the work that you do that all of those nights that I stayed in when I was living in New York City and not partying like other people my age and working on little businesses here and there, all of that nothingness adds up to something. I figured out what I wanted to do by doing it really and stopping kind of thinking about what I wanted to do and actually throwing myself into a bunch of different roles and making a ton of mistakes and then building a business out of scraps of my life. As entrepreneurs do, you just started working on these projects. Like you say, you're living in New York City, which is a fun place to be. We'll touch on that soon. But, you know, staying in, working on these projects, I think some of us can relate to that where you're like, I don't know what I'm really doing, but I'm doing something. And it, and it does lead to what you're doing now. So what kind of things were you doing when you were spending those weekends, those nights at home working? What were you working on? Yeah, absolutely. That feeling as well is so important that I don't know where this is going to lead, but I know somehow that this is important and I can't define the truth of what I'm supposed to be doing right now, but you don't need to be able to define it just yet. Yeah. You know? And so for me, that looked like I had to pay for my visa in New York. So I started a jewelry company to pay for my visa. And that put me in touch with a lot of people in kind of media. Some of the jewelry ended up in Vogue. And so I learned about the editorial space. And I also had to build, there wasn't anything like Squarespace or anything related to e-commerce. So I had to, I don't even know how, and I would not be able to do this today, but I built a website in Dreamweaver that you could buy products from. I taught myself about marketing. And back then it was very different. There was no Instagram, there was no anything. So I did a lot of freelance work and building websites. I worked as an artist for about a year full time. And then I also worked in an agency called Rowan Co Studio, which was a really, really incredible experience in terms of cutting me into shape for what a New York City work life demands of you, where you're showing up at, you know, 7am and leaving at nine, you have to work so hard. And so it really took me seven years in New York before I felt like I was doing anything important. Mm. And so I think that people leave overseas and they think, I'm going to, you know, carve out this great place for myself. Maybe some people get lucky and do that, but if you have to make your own money and if you are showing up and having to really build yourself, I think when I was maybe like 20 one and starting to travel a bit, I thought, I'm just, I need to go find myself. And no, you go and you build yourself. And yeah. I think that is a really important lesson that I learned. Yeah, so true. And and that's the thing, I think, growing up in New Zealand or a lot of people who listen from Australia as well, we go overseas. It's so much harder to build yourself in places like that because it's not a small country. Like it's New York, it's so competitive and you don't have those same connections. That's like incredible what you did. <laughs> I don't know if it was, yeah, I think it was more a, a whole lot of humility yeah. and not so much talent. I think that humility and persistence yeah. is a lot more important. I'm not particularly special. I just keep going. And right. I don't mean that in a self-deprecating way. Like there are so many people who are so much better 
than me at what I do. And I just kept going. Yeah. So I think that is also, you don't need to be absolutely brilliant. What did that resilience look like for you? Like what kind of obstacles were you facing or what sort of situations were you finding yourself in? Yeah, sure. I think resilience for me has absolutely shaped me and in so many different ways. I think that in the beginning of my adult life, uh, resilience looked like getting over, you know, to a new country and starting that life there. It looks like not knowing anybody. It looks like doing things that I felt really unsure about and doing things that I was really insecure about, like throwing myself into these different industries where, you know, in New York, everybody's, everybody's smarter than you, better looking than you and has more money than you. Being in an environment where you are always having to prove yourself. And so it really shows you what you're made of. I'm such a firm believer in being surrounded by people who are better than you. And that has always pushed me to strive for more. Mm. And as I developed my business, that resilience looks like working three jobs so I could fund it. I don't have any capital. I never got VC funding, that was a kind of not really a big thing back then when I was starting OK Real in 2014, 15. It was just starting to take off. So it looks like, you know, when I was starting to do events, learning how to speak partnership language with corporates that became our revenue model. So how to turn website with great content into an events platform that provided me with a sustainable income. That part was really tricky for me. Learning how to turn something into a paycheck I mean, that was huge for me. And then you you have to expect that everybody's going to say no to you. So you build up your resilience by how much rejection you get, essentially. And, and adversity builds that in you. And I've had a, a slew of stuff in my personal life that, again, brought me to my knees. And, you know, I was pregnant and um, found out that my partner at the time was at a complete double life. And so moved back to New Zealand. And this is a story that is, you know, I've tell openly and Mm -hmm. started my life as a single mother in a small suburb back in my family home with my business and my friends all in New York. So Mm. that again was something that just cut me right back down and said, no, like this is something that you've got to get through. So get on with it. Yeah. Good on you. You're so strong. And I know that we say that it's resilience. It really is. You've had so many things like that where you've had to keep going and be resilient. And in that moment, being pregnant with your first child and then finding out that your partner has another life. Talk us through that. Like, what was that like for you? That must have been so horrible. I can't even imagine. It's interesting. There's so much trauma involved. There's parts that I kind of like don't remember. Mm. What I do remember, and there are parts that are very vivid, I was in shock for a really long time. What got me out of bed was that I didn't have a choice. I had this baby. And so the one beautiful thing about that experience is that you know, I was scared, is this going to impact the relationship I have with my child? And um, it strengthened it. When something like that happens to you, when your entire meaning or sense of security is just shattered and you're like, A, this is so humiliating. B, you're in an extremely, in an extremely vulnerable state. You're pregnant. So there's a primal instinct where you go into full protective mode. And just the shot, the betrayal was just blindsided, like absolutely mm. blindsided. But you get through things like that by people say, oh, you know, did you have a choice? You know, how did you make that choice? And I have friends who have been in a similar situations and they've chosen to stay. And I know people who have chosen to leave. And you have to be so respectful of 
people's choices in those situations. And for me, there was no choice. It was a reflex. Mm. So it wasn't a decision I had to make. It, It was an equation. That part wasn't hard. What was hard was thinking about, okay, so how do I then move forward in a way that is with as much grace as I can muster, which, and strength, which people I think look at me now and think, oh, you know, she's really strong and, or, you know, she got through that, but it is so ugly. That process of getting through it is not glamorous. I I couldn't leave the house for, you know, a few months. I was, I couldn't kind of connect with anybody and Mm. you have to really let yourself fall apart. And so for anybody who's going through anything and see somebody out on the other side, know that that the process to get to the other side, it doesn't look good and it doesn't, and you don't act with grace and you, you, you feel worthless but it's a choice that you make and it's like a small quiet choice every single day to keep going it's not particularly fierce or some days you'll be angry and some days you'll feel relief and some days you'll feel joy and then you'll go right back to the beginning again so grief is a process and for me i think i was mourning and i st- i still do I-, I really grieve new york city and the life that i made for myself there the one silver lining about all of that was, you know, I had built such an independent life for myself there. And that has actually been the hardest thing for me is having to leave that life behind when I wasn't ready to leave. Yeah. I think what that looks like is it's a choice every day and some days you won't do much. And then all of a sudden it'll be three months down the track and you'll be like, how did I get here? I think that's the thing. It's a really important message that you've shared that too, because I think a lot of the time in this day and age, we see everything on social media, which is, oh my God, look at these people's wins. And that's awesome. I love celebrating people's wins, but I think sometimes people forget that there's a lot of messy stuff going on or they might feel alone in the fact that they've got messy real things going on too. We just don't post Mm. that stuff, you know, and that's okay. You don't need to post that stuff, but it's a good reminder that there is messy, hard times, sleepless nights, pain, you know, just horrible emotional situations going on for people. Yeah, and I I wrestle with, you know, do we need to, is is pain a prerequisite for growth. And sometimes, you know, when people say, oh, you look at the life that you've been, I'm like, do you have any idea how much pain it took Mm -hmm. to deliver that growth? So I think that is also a lesson. If there's somebody in pain, even if you can't see it right now, I always try and come back to the fact that somehow this is growing me. And that sounds really cheesy, but it is actually all you have in those moments. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you have to sit through the pain or wrestle through it or whatever you have to do. You have to walk through the pain to Mm. get to that version of yourself that we all can inhabit by doing the work. Yeah, you're so right. And that's the thing, like when there's a tough situation, whatever that may look like for someone, there's no easy way around it. We can't just be like, hey, like can someone else deal with that? No, 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 you have to go through that. And the good thing in a way is that on the other side of that, even though it's like the yuckiest, sludgiest swamp there is around, there can be such an incredible version of yourself and all that growth that you've, you do Mm -hmm. go through growth. I mean, if you do it, if you do the work that you can then achieve things and it leads you to an, I feel like for me and for others, it leads you to a path of something and you are so much stronger than you realize you were. What happened to me? That whole situation was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's taken me a while to say that. And there are, you know, there are certain things that, of course, I don't wish on my son. Of course, I don't wish I don't wish that on anybody, but from a growth perspective and what my life has become now and the man who I have now and what it will teach my son in terms of raising your standards to your point, do not underestimate how beautiful your life 
can be. You're so right. And I think what you're saying is, yeah, you have shown yourself that you do respect yourself. And you said earlier that going through that made you feel worthless. So how do you, mm-hmm. how did you go from feeling that way? Obviously you did the work and you went through this horrible situation, but you went from feeling worthless in this situation. And then now your self-worth has grown hugely. Like, how does that look for you? Well, when your life has kind of been blown to smithereens, you have an opportunity to put it back together in a way that you want. So that's what I did. And for me, that looked like clinging. Whenever I, you know, I have people who say, well, how do I get my power back? And so you cling to the things that make you who you are. And I think when somebody almost steals parts of your identity or shakes kind of parts of you off and you're you're like, oh, who am I? What is my, you know, what is my life made up of? I kind of looked at the things that people couldn't take away from me. That was my work and my family, my child, and it was my body. And so there are parts of my life that no longer formed who I was in terms of my identity as a wife or a, you know, somebody who lived in New York. And so I started recreating what my life looked like. And some of that was obviously by force because what else was I going to do? Mm. I had to decide, okay, well, am I going to, and again, it didn't really occur to me to stop my, to stop working. To me, that was also, well, no, I'm going to fight. Things become more important to you to fight for. So Mm. I worked right up until I gave birth from my childhood bedroom. Of course, all of this happened during the busiest week of work. I actually had to travel to San Francisco like two days after I found out, present all of these events and then came home. And then I had a number of events in LA with some relatively like big celebrity names that um, I had to organize from New Zealand. So I just threw myself into the things that made me who I was. And I surrounded myself with people who reminded me of who I was at my core, not that worthless girl who was humiliated and had been treated terribly. That was not me. And so you, you can kind of feel these things that they are not who you are. And that's why it's so important when you're going through something traumatic to surround yourself with people who can remind you of the strong Amy or the, you know, the worthy Amy or the one who has fought for, you know, so much in her life and always gotten, you know, if she decides something, then she will achieve it. And so you need people to say, no, this is actually who you are. Mm. So I think being siloed when you're grieving and you've had is really, you need time alone, but I think that's can be quite dangerous because you kind of, you lose sight of yourself. Mm. So clinging to the things that you do have power over. I've always been very into fitness. So I started, you know, a few months, I had a horrific C-section. And as soon as that I'd recovered from that, I started um, working out again. And that was my, a small thing that I could do for myself. So I had ownership over my body. I could work at my business. I could be a good mum. I could continue friendships with my friends. So for me, it looked like holding on to those things and really fighting for them harder than mm. I ever would have before. And was giving birth, was that a hard experience for you in terms of, obviously you have probably hadn't had that long in the scheme of things to work through this. Was that traumatic for you, like mentally? Yeah, I um, I didn't have a great birth. I was induced. I had a really big baby. I'm a relatively smallish person. And I had this big, almost nine pound baby in me. And I was in labor for 30 hours. I'd never had an operation before. And so I had a really horrific reaction to all of the drugs. I was vomiting everywhere. And then I had a, um, a stroke-like reaction to the epidural. So my entire left side wow. of my body went slack yeah. and then pushed for hours and 
it was just an absolute disaster. No easy way to get a baby out for, mm. for me, apparently. And then I ended up having, I was put into theatre, had a spinal tap, his heart rate dropped and so did mine. And so they ripped him out in two seconds or three under three seconds wow. or something in an emergency C-section. Yeah. And then I had complications afterwards. So I had hallucinations. My midwife, you know, spoke to my parents after and she was like, she had a real trauma response throughout the birth. I was screaming things. And I, I know that's kind of standard for women in childbirth, but I didn't have a very nice birth and also any experience. Yeah. And you'd also been through a traumatic pregnancy, like mentally for you, that would have been so hard. So that's a pretty standard Mm. response in that situation. And then, you know, having some pretty intense complications, but was that like mentally hard? Like you're like, I'm going to be doing this. Like I'm doing this on my own. I'm having this baby. I don't have my partner anymore. At that point, I, I kind of, as soon as I found everything out, that information obliterated that other person from my being. So I never went through like, oh, I miss this person or I wish she, that wasn't it for me. It was more, it was more the shock of it, mm. the shock of it. So for me, it was not so much like, oh, I wish that person was here. I wasn't even thinking about that person. It was more this, I've had to go through so much and now this birth is presenting itself in a really horrific way. And so for me, it was just like, I'm so tired of being strong. Mm. I've been through all this pain only a few months ago and then I have to suck it up and and go through childbirth which I mean it sounds a bit dramatous right like you you, you get pregnant you're obviously going to have to have a baby you have to get it out some way yeah. I just remember feeling childbirth alone is overwhelming you know I had my mum there I don't know I just remember sobbing mm. and again just the, the pain the pain but then also the absolute bliss of hearing my son cry as they lifted him out. And I was cut wide open, you know, just vomiting everywhere and then in theatre and a hundred doctors swarming around me. And I just, and I remember hearing him cry and I just, just the complete surrender Mm. of love. And so again, to go through all of that, I would go through that in a heartbeat a thousand times over to get my kid. Mm. All of it. I think sometimes I've got the most magical son and if I had to pay all that tax <laughs> of going through that shitty relationship, the only purpose of that relationship was to get me that child. It had nothing to do with that other person. Mm. It was all about my son. You know, so I went through all this stuff, but look what I got. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good you way know? to look at things. Yeah, for sure. You've talked us through self-worth and then building that in yourself. What did that do mm. for your self-love, you know, because far out, like through an experience like that, by showing yourself that self-worth, that does grow your self-love and how you feel about yourself. It does. It's not a finite realisation. It's something that kind of cracks you open because in part of the cracking open is feeling like a sack of shit for the first, you know, while. So feeling completely worthless, feeling just thrown away, just so discarded. And so there's that part of it. And then you get to the building yourself back up part. And I'm still working on that. You know, there are elements of my life now and I'm questioning, well, what are my standards? And so it doesn't necessarily solve the, the, not the issue of self-worth, but it, it opens up a conversation with yourself of what were you putting up with during this, you know, what attracted you to this person or what was it in yourself? And in some ways, it's forced me to take more accountability for the choices I make in life. 
it's been a slow build and it's a, it's a constant reckoning with my worthiness and what do you deserve? You get what you accept, you know, learning through a new relationship. That has been another whole learning process. It's built me up, but it's definitely something that's still in the works and of something course. that I struggle with some days and, you know? Yeah. Oh, so it's never a finished process. Yeah. No, like that's the thing. Self-love is not like this final thing like, oh, I love myself. It's like, no, you're constantly working on it because there's things that you, we're human. Like we're not going to like things about ourselves or we're going to be hard on ourselves or unkind or, you know, accept crappy things sometimes. It's it's one of those things that we're constantly working on. So you're right. How was that for you then opening yourself up to another relationship? Really difficult, but really worth it. And when things happen in life, you can choose to be jaded and cynical and hardened, or you can choose the, the more difficult route, which <laughs> is to stay soft and to stay <laughs> as hard as it is vulnerable and yeah. it would have been a lot easier for me to be like fuck men and like you know a lot of my work is kind of in the feminist realm but I I never wanted to be this kind of jaded yeah. miserable like just that's so boring yeah and it's so like not me mm. you know and it just again it would be letting somebody else define my character and that is not something that I do it shows strength and it's like a good person if you can get on and and still be like trusting and still be loving you know and it's honoring those two things it's honoring the fact that yeah I have wild insecurities I'm terrified that the same thing is going to happen I am constantly am I good enough am I pretty enough am I thin enough am I successful enough am I all of the things that women worry about. I have those thoughts all the time. I have crazy anxiety. I, you know, I'm a very imperfect damaged human being, but I'm also very committed to sticking up for the good in myself as well. I do believe despite all of those worries that I do deserve great things. And I do believe that my son deserves, you know, a thousand times more than that. So you can have huge elements of insecurity and also, you know, huge building blocks of worthiness. Finding places for both of those things in your heart, learning how to look both of them in the eye and say, these are both parts of me, the light and the darkness. And I'm mm. always going to show up and try and work on the darkness and let the light lead the way. So trusting Ben was huge. Look, irrespective of what happened to me, that's normal. You know, we're always, when we love someone desperately, we're always like, oh, I hope they don't hurt me. And that's part of any relationship. I think maybe my insecurities are amplified by what happened. It's yeah, a lot. It is a lot. How do you navigate that? And maybe if there's someone listening that has been betrayed like that and then they're trusting someone and, you know, like there's someone really amazing in their life, how do you work through it together? Communication, which I'm, my poor boyfriend, he's probably sick of me communicating. I'm an over-communicator. Um, <laughs> I so relate that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk like, about oh it. Oh my God, shut up. I know, I'm like, can we talk about everything? Um, he's very introverted. And so, um, you know, that's, again, something that we're working on. <sighs> I think what I've been really blessed with is that Ben has loved my son, Rawiri, with no hesitation. You know, you hear stories about another person kind of coming in to a relationship where there's already a child and maybe that connection is 
something that they've struggled with or that the man has struggled with to connect with a child who's not biologically his or a man who comes home and cracks open a beer and sits in front of the TV and the kid wants to play. I've been really lucky and maybe a foundation to why this has worked is that Ben has loved Ra so naturally. Everything, I'm like, if that's the core, I'm like, if we can work it, everything else, we can like figure it out. But I think that for me has been huge. What are some of your self-care practices, ways that you look after yourself? My self-care is talking to my friends incessantly on the phone. Um, most of my girlfriends are in New York. I have like one or two good friends here, but not really. Like my community is all overseas or in, there's a few in Melbourne as well. So my self-care is talking. That's so, <laughs> it's actually that's great. talking to my friends, hanging out with my son in a way that's not, as a mum, you're, you're always caring for your kids. You know, you're, you're doing mm. all the stuff behind the scenes. And so I dance with him a lot. We dance and we sing and being really goofy, drinking red wine and dancing with my kid in the evening. And he's so humorous. And so, you know, enjoying jokes with him and talking to my girlfriends, getting outside when I can, those things do so much more for my soul than like having a rigid mm. yoga and meditation, which might be part of my routine one day. Um, it's in it's in the dream plan, but yeah. for now, that's what self care looks like for me. That's good. No, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't need to be. I think a lot of the time, people think of I have to do all these things and I have to get up. Like, yeah, if you do that, that's cool. But whatever works for you and. Obviously, at the time as well, you know, we've been navigating a tough time where parents are caring for their kids even more because the kids aren't in childcare or we're all at home, you know. Yeah, it's a juggling act and you just got to do the best you got to do. Like, And also, what is good for looking after yourself at that time? Because doing hours of whatever, it might not be good for you because you might be working too much. That will be burning yourself out. So what is some advice that you would give to your younger self? I mean, you've gone through a heck of a lot since back then. So what would you tell yourself? So much of my work focuses on how to create fulfillment and what that looks like. And so I think to my younger self, I would say fulfillment is something that you do. It's not something that you find. And and you're doing a great job. You know, you're right where you need to be. I don't know, maybe don't marry that person, but <laughs> you know, but you know, but then, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have rest. So hindsight is a beautiful thing, isn't it? But I think that I would say again, like all of the nothingness, all of what mm. you're doing right now, Amy, it is going to lead you to where you need to be. So don't worry so much about getting that one thing right. Or like the mess of it all will lead you to where you're supposed to be. Take your work seriously. Don't take yourself too seriously. And let life happen to you. Mm. It's going to anyway. Like, holy shit, you have (laughs) no idea what's coming. Like, gear up, girl. Like, (laughs) you know, all of the drama that you think is drama right now, that is just, and all the people treating you like shit in New York, which they do, that is just toughening you up for Mm. something that is going to knock you sideways. Don't worry, uh, you're building up your toolkit and um, you're going to have an arsenal of supplies when you need it most. And this community that you're building, you think that you're doing it for them, they're going to be there for you. Like they are going to be your safety net. You're on the right track. 
Yeah, I love that so much. A couple of things I wanted to touch on there, and mm. I relate to what you said earlier about we often worry about, oh, am I going to be able to do all these things? And you worry about what you're doing and if it's all going to work out career-wise or whatever way it is for a person. And then also, like you said, just going through these things that you feel like are the nothingness, keep focusing on those things. Because I feel like we do mm. have these goals like, I want to do this, or if I'm not doing this, we all have it. We're now and then we're kind of like, oh, why am I not there yet? And you sort of, I do it. I get frustrated um, sometimes. And I think when I was younger, it was like way worse. As you get older, you do go with the flow a lot more. But, you know, talk us through those times because I feel like that's a good thing, but it's also hard. You might be focusing on these big goals, you know, and thinking that what Mm. you're doing isn't important when it actually is. Well, I think that's a really good thing to note. And it's a combination of both. So I like to say that you need to hold on to the big vision that you have for yourself and don't make that smaller, but don't be shy of starting small. So you can hold, again, those two things in your head, right? So you have the big vision of where you want to be. And when I first started my business, I wrote down in a notes, just in notes app on my phone, um, events, community, uh, mentorship, connection, like digital magazine or all these things. And so I had this very loose idea of what I wanted it to be. And I'm somebody who um, can have that big vision. I'm terrible at starting small. In the early, early days before I even had this idea of what to do, I just did things that felt, I knew they weren't the the end goal, but they felt like well, like a lily pad, like the, mm. the next best thing. So if you can concentrate on doing the next best thing that feels right for you. So pay attention to what feels right And be comfortable with knowing that that is not going to be your end goal, but that it might teach you X, Y, and Z, which will then help you get to that end goal. Mm. So for me, I had this big idea of what I wanted my business to be, which it it is now. And now I'm having to do this whole thing again, because obviously like pandemic, hello, Mm. my whole business is completely turned on its head. I had this big idea, but where do you start with that? How do you start events? You're only 20 something years old, like you don't know what you're doing and you so I started with, well, I'm going to need a website. So um, who do I know who can make websites? And then I traded a piece of art that I had done for, I think, like a down payment on my website. And so, you know, the art that I was doing at the time, that kind of, I knew I didn't want to be an artist for the rest of my life, but then that somehow led to, it's a combination of having the big idea. So have the vision, have the trust in the small things. And there is no substitute for hard work. Mm. And whatever you're trying to build, it's going to take 10 times as much money as you think and 10 times as much work. You need to find the balance and you never will find the balance of being patient and pushing yourself. You'll always, you're always going to be impatient and you're mm. always going to think that you are failing. I still think that every day. I'm like, my business has turned to shit. COVID's ruined everything. I still, in some ways, think about my business in a similar way to what I did when it was still yeah. starting. So that never, the fear never goes it just evolves and like you say you know you've got to there's so much work that goes into it and it's not that we're afraid of hard work but I think when you start something and you like you say you do think big and then there's all these small things to do and then the small things really add up and so I know for myself and for others they might be able to relate that you know you think you're going to do all these things and then you've done a heap but you're maybe not going to be able to do all of those in this at space because there's so much small stuff that goes into to making it all happen I'm really hard on myself so I'll you know, you'll think, oh, I should have done all these things as well. But what you've done is actually a lot. And people might not know from the outside that it is a lot and that it does take hours and hours and a long time to build. Mm, 
And, you know, I look around and there are so many startups in New York now that that's a huge culture there. And I think, oh, maybe if I did, you know, do a seed round for like three mil, then I could have been in a different situation. And I probably could have if I'd stayed there, but then my son would have a different life, mm. you know, and, and here I have my family. And again, it's, it's looking at your life as a whole as well. And I think there's so much pressure to tie up all of our purpose into what we do. Mm. You have to, in the same way they talk about how, you know, millionaires or billionaires diversify revenue streams and they have at least seven or something. There's some sort of statistic. You have to do the same in terms of your life where you have to diversify your sources of fulfillment. So you cannot make your work your entire source of identity because it's only one part of you. I, I always go back to the Cheryl Strait quote, which um, is you don't have a career, you have a life. And so for me, where my family and my career are both the two most important things to me, how do those both fit into one another? And how does this decision I'm making about my career give me a life that I want to lead? If I was looking at it solely from a career point of view, I didn't want to leave New York. I've been traveling back there every eight weeks, eight to 10 weeks um, wow. since I've had Ra. Uh, that place does so much for a certain part of me, but I also know that if I moved there, again, the life of my son would be very different. Mm. And that's also a huge part of me. So as you get older, it's juggling what fulfillment looks like to you and how, and all the different pockets that it contains. If you can't be in a certain place, how do you cultivate an energy without having to be reliant and being physically there. And one, you know, another great thing is that it's actually propelled this online portion of OK Real, which has been in a, a long time in the works. And it's just kind of catapulted me into focusing more on this online space, which I should have been doing anyway. And um, the event space is getting increasingly competitive, which is a great thing. But it also has meant that I've needed to think about different ways I can I can build what I do and grow what I do. So we ran mentorship a, a mentorship program in New York for uh, several years and had thousands of applicants, which we couldn't we just literally couldn't meet the demand of. And so this course that we're launching shortly is all about how to create mentorship in your life and lead mentor circles in order to build a community. And we've just we're just about to launch like a what those mentor circles look like in a digital realm. And following that, we're doing a, which I'm really excited about, is a course on how to reset. And so we're kind of looking at um, how to take your power back and how to find peace and how to push through really hard shit. Kind of, it's all rooted in self-worth, all yeah. of it. So that's why I was so excited to speak with you because, Yay. you know, that's what it all boils down to in yeah, the end. totally. I think that's that sounds amazing. Like that's going to be so helpful to people. And look at what you've done. You've built so many cool things. And, and I know you're probably like, oh, like taking the compliment of it. But it does, <laughs> it's also very helpful, but it does seem very like what we need. And it seems very cool, if you know what I mean. Like it's Aww, like, like what you, you. want to, you want to be part of it, you know. For so long, we've only been available really in real life on in coastal cities in, in the States. So New York and LA and San Francisco. And and I want to be able to reach a wider breadth of people, not only in kind of middle America, but New Zealand and looking at space in Australia and figuring out what OK Real looks like in the future. You have to be very open to people kind of hating what you do and learning from it. And that the criticism actually grows you a lot more than the praise as in life. The hardship grows you more than the victories. Yeah, so true. What has it been like watching it grow though? Like it's your little baby, you know, you've got your child, but okay, real is your baby. And see, it was my first baby, yeah, my first child. And seeing people, <laughs> you know, at those events in America, like that's pretty cool. Seeing 
people wrapped around Fifth Avenue for, you know, an entire block. Some of the messages I get, I mean, that makes me so happy, like deeply, deeply stoked. I feel like I've completely neglected the business over the past, this year, 2020 sucks. Am I right? I, I <laughs> just like, in so many ways, like, can we just cancel 2020 and start all over again? Now uh, you've given us so much advice. I just want to wrap up mm. on what would you like to share amongst mm. all the gems you've shared with us for women listening? What would be something you would like to share with us? What I can share is like a mini exercise that our Real Reset course is going to include the work around the self-beliefs that we all have. And we've been talking about self-worth today. So this really pertains to people like, what do you mean do the work? You know, what does it actually mean? And this is an example of doing the work. So really looking at what you believe about yourself to be true. And you can do that by thinking of it in terms of, well, what have I been given that doesn't belong to me? What am I carrying right now that maybe somebody handed to me once and said, you know, you're not actually that smart. And how has that infiltrated who I how I see myself and, and therefore how I operate in the world. Again, yeah, the stories we tell ourselves shape how we shape our reality, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you can do a free write for five minutes, freehand, set a timer, and think about the things you believe about yourself and think about the things that are getting in your way. So maybe that is, well, I want to buy a house, but I don't have enough money, or why don't I have enough money? Or maybe I want to get that job, but I'm not, I'm not extroverted enough, or I'm not confident enough, or really writing down all of the things that you want and what, what is getting in your way of them. And following that, you're going to read through what you've written and pull out some of those damaging beliefs. Like I'll do the money thing again. So maybe it's like, I'm really bad with money. Like I don't have a good relationship with money. And then what you're going to do is you're going to write down the excuses you're making to keep your stories alive. For another example, that might be, I'm really high strung and I can never get to that state of just being chill. I can never be present. And so your excuse for that might be, well, I had a really, really stressful job. So there's no way that I could ever be chilled. And I think really looking at the excuses that you're making, and again, going back to that whole idea of being accountable for these stories that you have, and maybe somebody planted them in you a long time ago, Mm. but looking at what do you lose from keeping those stories a part of you? You know, what are you really losing Mm. by holding on to those beliefs? And then looking at, well, what do you gain by letting them go? Well, what are the things that you could build if you let some of those self-beliefs go? And I think there's a lot of comfort and familiar pain of staying where we are. And the pain of growth is scary, but there is no reward in the pain that is familiar. You're always choosing between pain. And I think we're only ever really motivated by pain, you know, when we're something hurts enough, we'll move. <laughs> I'd love to say that it's love, but I actually think that pain is a far bigger motivator. Um, yeah. What, you know, what can you, what can you gain? What can mm. you gain by letting, you know, it might be scary. There is so much to gain by doing so. So that's just a little kind of self-reflection exercise that you can do to get your mind looking at how you can be better for yourself. Thank you so much for that, Amy. That's super helpful. And thank you so much for your time today and everything you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on the backlog of eps you may have missed. Until the next episode, make sure you're following the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content, IGTV clips of interviews, and you can find me at Belle Crawford. 
plus find resources and articles on my website bellcrawford.com with a new recommendations page with my book club, all of the good shows to watch. And also you can actually listen to all of the podcast interviews ever on the Self Love Club on the podcast page. We've got heaps of incredible guests coming up with weekly episodes available each Monday. I'll catch you really soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.